This is Brent Piaskowski, and you're watching the TV Writer Podcast. Well, this is Gray, and I want to welcome you to the TV Writer Podcast, partner of Script Magazine, episode 132, for October 11th, 2022. Well, today I have the pleasure of bringing you an interview with Brent Piaskowski. How are you doing, Brent? I'm very well. I'm tickety-boo, as I like to say. <laughs> well, and, and it's really, really neat because um, you and I grew up in the same place, Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Not at the same high school, but um, it's, it's, it's fascinating. I've interviewed a lot of different people, not too many from Calgary. We are, yeah, we're, we're making it out here, but um, we definitely, I'm going back on Wednesday to see my mom for uh, 10 days. But yes, Calgary uh, was my home for until 1989. Wow, very very cool. So you stayed longer than me. I I left in '86. No no no, ah, no no I I left in '90. No, no. I left in '90. I left in '90. So I you're one year ahead of me. I was thinking of uh, mm -hmm. wrong school. Um, well well tell me about that. Tell me about uh, William Aberhart and uh, and how at when what at what point did you know that you wanted to be a writer and what did that look like? It took a while because I was when you grow up in Calgary, you don't think the entertainment world is open to you. You don't even know it exists. It's like mm -hmm. you wanting to be an astronaut, but you don't know where NASA is or how do I qualify for that program? Where do I even go? And that's sort of how it was for um, wanting to be a writer. So I started out as an actor mm -hmm. because I think that that's the most obvious thing for anybody in the industry. Oh, acting looks great. So I went to university. I studied acting. I went to Mount Royal College first. And then I was just acting. Um, a comedy club opened up in in calgary on uh, snickers on um I think it was ninth avenue and that had always intrigued me i remember as a kid getting very excited to when anything on carson it was a stand-up comedian mm -hmm. so I, I i went pretty quickly and i did an amateur night and because and i was like 21 maybe and i had written in my head maybe 10 years of jokes that i was able to Whittle, uh, whittle down to like five minutes and I did a five minute set and it went great. Wow. Like people were saying like, this is amazing. And, and I kind of got the bug there. Then unfortunately I didn't know you could repeat jokes. This is cause I'd see comics on Carson. And every time I saw them, if it was Seinfeld or Robert Klein, they would do a new bit. Mm -hmm. So I thought every week I had to do a new five minutes. Wow. And they did it pretty well the second week and the third week was okay. By the fourth week I bombed. And that's when some of the, uh, it was an improv troupe came out to me and said, you know, you can repeat material. <laughs> so, so, so that's when I started to, um, you know, work on my act. And because comedy clubs were starting to open up like crazy, I got work probably before I was ready to, mm -hmm. but there was a need. And I went on the road as a comedian. I quit my job at the Bay selling men's suits and, um, and I was on the road for a good 10 years. But during that time, and this was before, you know, you, you, you travel to a place and then you have all day to sit there. If, and this was before all the only entertainment was malls, basically. There was no laptops or video games. So I started writing. Hmm. And, and that's when I went, oh, this is my passion. This is what I want to do. Because I was a really good comedian. But also when I look at the great Canadian comedians, like I know I, I was working with Norm MacDonald. Wow. I was like, oh, I ain't Norm. <laughs> so I was so... So I started writing and uh, getting my stuff out there. And that's and so that's when I realized, oh, it's the words. I thought it was the acting, but it's really the words that are really intriguing me about this industry. Mm, very cool. And so so 
how did that first manifest itself? Uh, um, when did you first send a script somewhere? Um, how did you learn the format? I didn't learn it very well, that's for sure. I mean, it did start early where I would, um, like, MASH was coming to its end when I was in high school, and we had to do a, a project on the war. And so I wrote a MASH script. And I didn't know it was a spec script at the time. It was, in, it was probably only seven pages. And, you know, and mm -hmm. the teacher said, oh, it sounds like the show, but it's really not the assignment. Mm -hmm. And I, I think I got a C for it, which... Uh, um, so I started just writing. And because I was a theater background, I didn't know format. I didn't know multicam format. I didn't know sitcom format. There was no final draft, at least to my ability. I, I had a Commodore, I think, or my mom would type my stuff out. I would write it longhand. Um, and so early on, I, I, I was really obsessed with the show Family Ties. Mm. And I thought that this is how you get into the industry. I wrote an episode of Family Ties that featured Michael Gross, who played Stephen Keaton. It would have been his episode of the year that he had a big monologue. And it was really even not a typical Family Ties episode. It had been a horrible spec because it was kind of a, it's a wonderful life meta piece. Mm. Anyway, I sent it to him. I sent wow. it out to him and it had those little spirals on it that, that cookbooks have. And, and, and three weeks later, I get this letter, handwritten letter from Michael Gross, how much he loved the scripts and, and he's going to send it along to the writers and the balls in their court. And I'm phoning immigration <laughs> lawyers. How, how do I get to the U.S.? And then when it became a real writer, I realized how poisoned that script would be and how grateful and how lucky I was that Michael Gross even read it mm. because he shouldn't have, you know, yeah. plagiarism was, he should have just turned it over to legal and they should have shredded yeah. it without ever opening the envelope. Uh, so I kept, so I wrote it and I, and there was a, a Canadian writer, Jane Ford and Katie Ford, sorry, Jane's her wonderful sister. And, and, and she was on family ties. So she helped me a little bit trying to get in, but it just never worked out because I was a Canadian kid. I didn't have immigration and I wasn't experienced enough. But I just kept on writing and writing and writing. And the, the first thing I wrote of note that got me an agent, Charlie Northcote, his name was at uh, Core Group, was a thing based on my grandmother, who at that time was um, going th through some medication. She was hallucinating and she dreamed she was she, she didn't dream. She believed she was going to get married. Someone was coming to marry her. and She was well in her 80s. So I wrote a one hour drama called The Summer Baba Got Married. Uh -huh. And uh, and I said it in 1942 with a, a teenage protagonist with her, her her grandmother, and Charlie read it and said, "Okay, yeah, this is a voice I want to represent." Hmm. Very cool. And so you you got a TV gig fairly early. A uh, 94 is the first one I see on IMDb. I know how IMDb can be sort of sure. not complete, but um, what when when did that first translate into a TV staff gig? Um, it actually came through connections. Uh, my first writing gig ever, ever was with a, a, a funny guy named Luciano Casmiri, who was kind of the fifth kids in the hall. He was like the guy that Bruce McCullough says the funniest guy ever, but he didn't mm -hmm. really want to be a kids in the hall. He did. He just, it wasn't for him, even though he was a very important voice to them. And we became writing partners. And then there was a sitcom called the mighty jungle, which was about, um, uh, animals in a zoo that could talk and most were animatronics and the ape was this woman from France because it was co-production who was inside a you know, a monkey suit and, and they all talked 
And Mark Blutman, who's still very active, maybe you follow him on, on Twitter, and Howard Buzzgang were the co-executive producers. And I, you know, use your in. And this was like the first in I ever had. And Luch and I went and pitched, and we pitched like crazy. We pitched hard. Mm-hmm. And the, that typical Hollywood story or that, you know, the last one, well, we got this other one about the ape who finds a little kitten and doesn't want to give her up. And they liked that one and they bought it. So that was my first real writing job. And and they were very gracious. Um, Bernie Ornstein was a showrunner. And he let Luch and I sit in the writer's room for the week. Mm. So we got to see that experience. And that was just tremendous of him. Very, very cool. And so tell me about that time. Tell me about um, your next few series and, and how you really got your legs. Yeah, well, it, it really just like was slow. I was still doing stand-up. Um, and then there was a, I worked on a show called Whimsy's House, which was sort of for one of the, I think it was the man who wrote the Mr. Hooper Died episode of Sesame Street and won an Emmy. He was doing this show about Whimsy and Muppets and Yaya. And uh, again, I pitched really hard for that. And I got a couple episodes. And then my real big break in the industry, I, I always say it won't be the biggest job I ever got, but it was the most important job was when Breaker High came. And it was a show about... Um, kids on a boat mm-hmm. and it was like the, the UPN I think was doing it and it was a Canadian co-production even though the writer's room was in LA and uh, they needed half writing room had to be half Canadians but I was lucky because I had been writing for so long and by then I had learned the format I had I bought script saver or screen saver or something scriptware so mm-hmm. I knew how to write like a sitcom writer mm-hmm. um and my agent sent two of my scripts down to the writers, uh, the producers of Breaker High. And I kind of funny, I actually ended up getting hired twice, I found out, because, and this is this is quite a long time ago when there weren't as, uh, Canadian writers weren't hip to mm-hmm. sitcoms, they didn't know what a spec script was. So, you know, people were sending in poems and sketches and, mm-hmm. you know, like S Second City kind of sketches. And they were having trouble finding writers and they had a small pile of writers spec scripts that they liked. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, they're going to go through them and say, well, let's see who we should meet out of this. And two out of the six scripts are mine. They, they uh-huh. got separated in the pile and they kind of went, okay, I think that this guy's uh, a guy, this guy's a shoe in. And that, that was so, so I did quit stand up. I went down to uh, Los Angeles um, and I worked on breaker high where I believe this to be true. I wrote Ryan Gosling's uh, first TV kiss. Wow. So I I take, I take some credit because he was a nerd until I wrote that episode. And then I sort of get that (laughs) sexy mojo happening. So I think he hasn't mentioned me yet, but I think he does owe me a thank you. Very, very cool. And so now that was in LA, but it was a co-pro. So were you paid out of Canada or how how did that work? I was paid out of Canada. Yeah. It's in fact, the, the Americans were getting WGA, they were getting residuals. The only thing I got better than them was a production fee. Uh-huh. That was a little bit, uh, and and they may still be making, uh, you know, 10 bucks a year out of it. I, I'm not seeing a, a dime. But I tell you, I and oh, the dollar was horrible back then. It was like 67 mm-hmm. cents or something. And, and Charlie, my agent, actually got it to 70 cents or something. Okay. I've never been happier in my life. Wow. You know, it's like, you're, you're still a single guy. And you're still making TV money, even though it's lower end TV money. I was making, you know, like at, at best, 
not at best, but you know, average $500 a week as a stand-up comic. And, and I remember my friend, the great late Eric Tunney once saying to me, we were driving to Sudbury from Toronto, which is maybe what, a five, six hour drive. Mm-hmm. And he said to me, you know, if somebody told you, hey, Brent, I'm going to ask you to drive to Sudbury for six hours, pick up a check for $200 and come right back. Would you do it? We're kind of, I don't really think I want to do that. Now we're adding a horrible gig where people will yell at you and you sleep in a horrible bed. And, you know, we're off in the middle of winter driving to, to Sudbury. So I kind of had lost the passion a little bit for stand-up. So this came along at the right time for me. And I, oh, I work with that writer's room then, like Peter Knight, who is still a very predominant, uh, prolific writer and, and, um, and, and Oh, it was a great writer's room. I met so many people. John Wing was there, Kelly Seneca, Rob Baird, who's, uh, he wrote the um, sequel to Monsters, Inc. Um, you know, and Abby Charette was a great showrunner. It was a, it was a fun time of my life, to be honest. I just also got out of a marriage. Hmm. So it was nice not to be back in Toronto thinking of that. Yeah, very cool. And, and, um, and so... Did you come back to Canada for a while? And, and when did you make the move to the U.S.? I have technically always stayed in America, although what happened, Breaker High changed my status as a Canadian writer. So my career has mostly been, um, you know, uh, Canadian gigs. But because I had an American um, uh, Credit, Brent Breaker High was huge in Canada for a while. Uh, Radio Free Roscoe, uh, uh, which was in co-production with uh, the Nick. Uh, I can't remember what it's called now, but it was uh, The N, mm-hmm. which was a Nickelodeon kind of edgy uh, network. They needed, um, they want, you know, I was pushed as this Canadian guy with American sensibility, and I, I became a showrunner like right away, like almost right out of the bat. And I wasn't, I I was good in that I knew how to write and I knew how to run a room, but we, I go to these production meetings and, you know, I'd have to, they, they say, okay, we're going to need a F416. And I go, Oh, what's that? Oh, that's a signal for security. And go, Oh, okay. Thank you. And uh, uh, John Delmage was uh, the technical showrunner like he he didn't do any story writing but he he was the money guy and he was he was a prince to me he took me under his wings and, and you know never made me feel bad because i didn't know anything mm-hmm. and he was a, he was a great guy to to, to help me uh, learn the steps because I, I i'd only run i'd only been on a couple of shows and i was show running uh, mm. series yeah wow so it was kind of a sink or swim and you swam yeah 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 i think I, i'm lucky that maybe i was so naive I didn't know. I didn't even know protocol. I just was like a nice guy who went with it. And I think if I had known what I was up against, I might have been a little more panicked and sort of <laughs> thrown, thrown yeah. into the game and I've never played before. So I, what else can go wrong? Nothing. No. And so you, you show ran a few shows. Uh, Naturally Sadie, um, Latest Buzz. Um, yeah. Tell me about uh, sort of the next next little while. I became a t- I became the team guy. I didn't start out being a team guy, but you know I became the team guy, and I ran this uh, second and third season of Naturally Sadie when uh, the production company Decode, who with uh, Jennifer Dodge, who was always great to me, wanted to go a different direction, and that's when I really started feeling like a showrunner, um, knowing 
how to get best out of writers and knowing how to break story and, and do season arcs. And naturally, Sadie was a lot of fun, um, great tech, great cast. And I've worked with a lot of great, talented actors. And because of that, that got me um, a, a pitch meeting with family. And I remember the night before I just won, I think it was my second of three Writers Guild Awards. And I, I even brought it with me to the pitch meeting. And uh -huh. I pitched the latest buzz. And uh, they bought it. I don't want to say I don't want these people. They bought it in the room because that's not true. But they bought it pretty soon after. And mm -hmm. that was the first decode show that went its entire. I think this is true. It's like a hundred and thirty-six episodes or something crazy like that. We think it's because Radio Free, Free Roscoe, the Noggin. That's what it was. The end or Noggin didn't buy a third series because they wanted to go with another show. They, they wanted something edgier, so we never got a, a third season. But they also held back their rights, so we couldn't do it on our own. So it was really frustrating because um, Radio Free Roscoe is probably the show I did to Canadians and some Americans that is a show that they were brought up on. It's a show, mm -hmm. uh, if I can uh, go off pattern, uh, path here, one time... I was flying from LA this about seven or eight years ago to Calgary because my father was very not doing well. He was pretty sure he was determined he was going to die. So I was flying home and I was taking a cab from the airport in Calgary to my, my mom and dad's place. And I got this young um, cab driver and I only don't only mention his his ethnicity for the point of the story is he was he was, I believe, Indian. And he was so, you know, he's a very nice young man. He's like, what do you do? And he doesn't know my dad is dying. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to burden him with this. I'm horrible. My father's <laughs> going to die. You, you, you know, so I say, oh, I'm a writer. And then like, well, what have you written on? And he knows nothing of what I've written. So now not only am my, my dad's dying, you know, this guy doesn't, I have not, I'm not validated by this camera. <laughs> I call it, oh, well, I did write this show called Radio Free Roscoe. And he looks up. It's no way. And he honestly starts <laughs> trembling. Like, and we're, we're running up to my parents' house. And he goes, Radio Free Roscoe was the first show because we had a character played by Ali McAdam who was brown skinned and, you know, ethnicity never really stead. But he goes, hey, that was the first character I saw that was like me, the class clown, like they didn't study. And you, you let me be. Like that was that that show was so important to me because of that character. And I and he wow. took a picture with me. He called his sister and I talked to his sister. You know, and like that and that was sort of the last story I ever got to tell my dad. Wow. So it's really cool, you know, mm -hmm. that I have worked on some stuff that aren't isn't famous, but you know, and on the opposite end of that story, I met a writer who lost his virginity to an episode of Breaker High that I had written. So, <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, I, I have played an important part in people's uh, teenagers' lives. Uh-huh. Very, very cool. And, and Latest Buzz was one that you you created? Yeah, I mean, that was your your idea? It was my, yeah, I, I created, um, I cast, I mean, Network, obviously, and, and prep, uh, uh Project 10 had a, a big voice on it, but it was the first time I really had a show and also kind of the first time where I was trusted mm -hmm. a little bit to do what I want. And, you know, and we had a great, all, all those kids are still working, especially uh, Vanessa Morgan, who I believe is still on Riverdale. She's sort of the one person I've ever auditioned, Vanessa, that when she came in, I turned to Jennifer Dodge and she looked at me and goes, yeah, she's there. 
this this is our kid this is mm-hmm. this kid knows comedy and um yeah so and that was that was a, a sweet time i really liked that show and those, those kids they were just sweet. just and, and my writers you know i i worked with barb my wife on that show and that was that was tremendous fun and just a great writing staff uh, you, did you meet on that show, or you you were already married? No, we point? we I think we were married by then, or about to be married. Uh, I met her through uh, a director, a blind date. Uh, I was I used a director whose best friend was Barb's best friend, and they said, "Hey, I think we both got set up because we're tall." <laughs> hey, do, you, do you know a tall woman? Yes, Barb's six one. I go, "Well, this guy's six four. And then, well, of course, they have to be. They have to be <laughs> in love, and we were. Very cool. You must have tall kids. If we if we had them, we would, but uh, it did not work out for us. No. <laughs> Very cool. So, um, and then uh, after that, um, the next uh, executive producer credit I see is uh, spun out. Uh, what happened between latest latest buzz and then? Um. Yeah, a few years of of doing kids animation. Things are probably don't end up on IMDb because maybe nobody takes. Uh, care of that kind of stuff and then uh during the latest buzz there was an american director who had moved to canada brian roberts uh, and, and, and with a with a resume that you know from the simpsons to almost every one of those drew carey uh type sitcoms of the 90s he had worked on and he got it i believe he got a production deal with project 10 where they were going to use the latest buzz set which the latest buzz was a show about kids who ran Teen Beat magazine. Mm-hmm. So it looked like an office. And he had wanted to, uh, he approached Jeff Biederman, my friend Jeff Biederman, and me, do you guys want to write a sitcom about a PR firm where everybody can, they can spin everybody's own lives, but their own basically was the premise. Mm-hmm. And we did, we wrote something and it was pretty good and we were going to shoot it. And somebody got cold feet. I, I think it was Project 10. I think they just, or, or maybe the script got read by CBC and they didn't like it. I, I can't remember. It, it got, we never went to, uh, we never shot it. And I kind of think this day and age, demo reels or, 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 you know, sizzle reels or whatever aren't that effective. I think a good pitch and a passionate pitch and a good script would do as much to you than casting or, or, or producing a, a little mini sitcom. So about three or four years later, I, I still really loved the script that Jeff and I wrote, and Brian Brian was part of too. And I, I, I wrote, and I wasn't working. So I called Jeff Biederman and said, hey, whatever happened to this spun out? He goes, I, th- I think actually now the, uh, the options run out on it. I go, we should try to do something with it. So I had once had a meeting with Andrew Barnsley, and this was when he worked for Steve Smith. Is that the Red Green Steve Smith? Do you know the Red Green show? I think that's who it was. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, but he had now moved over to Project 10. And it was one of those meetings. It was a general, but we really hit it off. And he tried to get me work on a a Samantha Bee's uh, sitcom that didn't get off the ground. But I I took the script to Andrew because Andrew was looking for pilots. I said, hey, you know, I got this thing and I don't know where it stands. So I think it's I think we have the rights. And I sent it to him and he wrote back like 45 minutes later. I yeah, let's do something. And, wow. and Andrew's a real passionate guy, and he took it to CTV and CBC, and CTV optioned it pretty close. And, uh, you know, Andrew's gone on to do uh, Shit's Creek. Uh, but this is sort of the, I, I'd like to think, the door 
that was open for him to eventually get Schitt's Creek and do amazing stuff on that. And so we, you know, uh, CTV bought it. Uh, Jeff, Brian, and I were the, the executive producer, co-creators. And, um, you know, it, it, it ran for two seasons. Um, it kind of got, unfortunately, a little political. Some bad stuff happened. I don't really like to go in for, for legal reasons. Not with me, but one of the cast members had a camera in his place. And, and anyway, it sort of shut things down for a third season. I just think it put a, a bad taste on the show. But... Um, yeah, working with Dave Foley, casting Dave Foley from uh, the Iden cast. And actually, Brian Roberts did a lot of the legwork because Dave was down. And I don't know that he could fly at that time or something. Brian did a lot of the legwork to get Dave on the show. Mm-hmm. And and Dave Foley is one of the funniest, most talented actors who generous. Like everything you want in, 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 in a lead, uh, Dave Foley was. Mm. Very, very cool. So, so cast me up to the present. Last few years, uh, covid time and and all of that um what have you been up to i've been uh, finding my way back into um animation kids animation i mean i, I had a couple years where i wasn't working but i i've done some stuff for um uh spin cycle i'm sorry that's not it they do uh uh the paw patrol production company very mm-hmm. am- amateur for me not to remember but I, I worked for them i've been working for mattel in fact uh, when i get back from canada i'll be doing a summit with mattel for uh their kid shows and I, I i love it i don't even want to say it's not my dream gig it's just it, it's it's fun work it's it's hard work you know people don't realize that you got to spend as much time breaking a story you know it's 11 minutes as you do just 22 minutes and in a way, it's harder because you have to teach a lesson mm. and you have to, you know, you have to have guidelines and you've also, you know, you have all kinds of people. You think network notes can be intense. Like you've got everybody, educational notes and, and, and the, the, the beauty of it, though, and I say this with no animosity, it's great to work on a show that you don't have ownership to. Because I, I, I swear to God, I work as hard as ever to make, because my um, guy I work for, Craig Carlisle, uh, a wonderful, first of all, there was, there was a guy, Rick Sawville, who brought me on, and then Craig took over. I don't want to leave, you know, I don't want to leave him with a lame script. So I, I do everything they say. But when a joke doesn't, I don't know, a little funny pun you come up with, they don't like, or they want a different thing, or they decide to change the character. It's really nice to say, oh, okay, you know, go back to the typey-typey, because... You know, I, I say there's probably there are times in my life where I took notes a little too personally, like, oh, this is such a good joke or this moment is so important. And I it, it ate me up a little bit. Now there's just a freedom to do great work, but not have the responsibility of like being upset that it's not my voice, it's not my vision, but I want to make sure whosoever it is gets Oop. Oh, a little bit of a Skype blip there. there. Okay, okay. You're just staring at me like, oh my God, did I see them? <laughs> um, cool. Well, let's uh, let's um, transition a little bit to sure. um, more global stuff. Um, mm-hmm. So tell, tell me sort of uh, some lessons you've learned over the years in terms of dealing with different uh, rooms, different situations. Um, how how you when you walk into a room and you don't know what to expect um how do you read the room 
Um, that kind I mean, of it, it, it has changed a lot since when I first started, you know, when I was on according to Jim, uh, and I was just a staff writer, the room was very obnoxious. I mean, you know, you know, there was, it was, it was sort of the stories of what you hear where, you know, people were competitive for jokes. Um, people were very dirty with their jokes sometimes. Uh, and, but it was also fun. There was a lot of great people I met on that show too. And I really enjoy, enjoyed it. So I think now the most important thing is trying to be, make sure everybody's heard as a showrunner. I'm often, cause I, I also would hire standups, uh, you know, male standups. And sometimes they would be a little bit, no problem interrupting, hmm. you know, cause they're, 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 they're anxious to tell their joke and, and that's how standups work. You know, you're out for dinner with standups or lunch and everyone's just bantering. And, you know, you know, you want everyone to hear what everyone has a right to hear. Right. So I'm, I'm often like, okay, okay, wait, just, we'll get to you, but let's hear what this person has to say. Um, so I, I think overall, just there's a, a more of a kindness and, and, and professionalism that you see in rooms that probably should have always been there, but uh, mm-hmm. because of the times, you know, they aren't, but also I will say rooms shouldn't be like board meetings either. You know, if, there, there, there is a little bit of risque jokes. I mean, you know, not, you don't, you don't want to be thinking you're at a PTA meeting either. Mm-hmm. And, and tell me about the um, differences that you've seen between Canadian rooms, American rooms, if there is. Well, the main one is size, like, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I think that the Americans are catching up to size, like, you know, latest buzz we had, you know, last year was, Barb, Darren Rose, me, and and Matt Schiller worked as a writer as well, and he would, but he was also the script coordinator. Um, you know, on, on on Belushi, we had twenty, like two rooms of ten or twelve people in it. <laughs> um, you know, it was crazy. Um, I mean, everything and, and craft service is better in this. And I think that's the biggest thing. Um, craft service is way better in the States. So, and nothing against the people in Canada, but, you know, they just got better. You know, it's funny. You probably go to the Trader Joe's and you see that person with the two grocery carts full of chips and health uh-huh. and coconut water. You go, okay, she's wondering what show she's working on. Um, uh, yeah, so, and I haven't been in in, in an American room for, for for a while, so maybe they've, they've changed too. Mm-hmm. And uh, what about what about sort of on the page? Um, do you read a lot of scripts in terms of submissions when people when you're hiring people? I will say that's one thing I was really excited about when we had a second season of um, Spun Out. Jeff Biederman and I read every script that was submitted to us because I, when I was a young writer, I, yeah, I, I, before I got my first job, I would call everything like you know every animated show. Will you read me? Will you? you know, oh, it's a Canadian sitcom. Can I, can I pitch? And no, no, no. And, and I get it because you don't make the same money, but often like the showrunner wants to write six episodes. That means we only have two freelance and they're going to his friend. So uh, I wanted to make sure every person who wanted a chance got in. I think Jeff and I read about 50 writers and, and, uh, and met half of them. And we left so many, so many talented people behind just because we couldn't afford to keep them but you know there's so many funny writers that i go god if we had a room of 10 uh, you'd be working 
and, um, but I was happy with the writing room that we had. We had a really talented staff, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, read. And, and I, I, and even now, you know, I'm not that much in demand, but somebody, if you were to call me, I'd always, um, when I was a showrunner, I would get an email from somebody I didn't know. I always tried to meet with them because, mm-hmm. you know, and sometimes you just can't. You just go, run. I'm, I'm in the middle of editing three episodes and shooting two. But, you know, the older you get, the more you hope to want to help other people. Hmm. Yeah. And and what what to you it makes a script that stands out? Heart. When I know, like, if I can go back to the summer Baba got married, I know I'm the only person in the world who has a script about an 83-year-old Ukrainian woman believing she's going to marry somebody. Hmm. So if I can read A Modern Family where oh my god you found you found the episode that it was right there for everybody to take you were the only one to find it hmm. and usually that comes from because somebody was sharing something in their life i can't i can't say it's something like oh um yeah i, I know a friend who wrote a, a spec of or not a spec a, a freelance um of uh, everybody loves raymond and you know he uh, it was a true story and he just made it ray and robbie and, and their dad somehow and it's like okay of course it's a true story because i could never think of that story but it was right there mm. very very cool and uh and and what about sort of um as you look back over the last boy 30 years or so um what have been the sort of uh life skills that you've needed to navigate this industry the ups and downs the freelance work um, how, how have you been able to weather the, uh, ebbs and flows? I haven't always, you know, that's why I have a doctor and a therapist. Um, I think the most important thing is I just, I'm very lucky and it kind of drives my wife crazy. I do love to write. So when I'm not writing, when I'm not working, I'm writing, I'm writing a book, I'm writing a movie, I'm writing a series for myself. And sometimes it makes you feel like, well, what the hell, what's the point? But it has, you know, helped me. And and then you just never know that one spec that you've written. All of a sudden there's a show that's kind of like that. And they're looking for writers and you have that script. Mm -hmm. And and when I was uh, trying to be a writer in between, every year I wrote two new spec scripts. This is when you didn't write your own script. You wrote a, you know, a grounded for life or friends or whatever. I, I wrote whatever the show was that was kind of hot, but like, like maybe this year I would write a ghost or something like that, where I, I wouldn't write a Abbott elementary. Cause I imagine there's 300 of them, you know, like I did read so many modern families when uh, Jeff and I were, were, were staffing, but I, but I can't blame anyone. They love the show. It's got such a distinctive, you know, uh, it's got such a voice. It's easy to write for, because they've done such a good job setting up. So yeah, I I, forgot, I think I rambled and forgot the question, Gray. <laughs> it it was um, uh, what what helped you get through the ebbs and flows, yeah. and 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 believing that it'll be your turn again. Um, mm-hmm. Larry Gelbart, who was one of my first, uh, the first guy ever made me want to do this was Neil Simon. You know, I, I would get his plays out from our high school library and read them over and over again. And then Larry Gelbart, and he once he would say to every writer he hired, "It's not your turn." 
Mm. And it's a good advice for young writers, you know, because sometimes, you know, on, on according to Jim, sometimes I was too vocal, even though I was right about the moment, I wasn't my place to say it. And now kind of I'd say, it's not your turn yet, but it will be, you know, mm. there's just, if you keep writing and, and, and keep on believing yourself and, 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 and try to be a good person and people like you, someone's going to remember you again. So, and I also, I, I've, I've had a great run of it too. It's not like I'm, I'm starving for work or anything. I would love to work more full time again. And I've got series that are being looked at right now, but you know how it is. It's like, I don't want to be, I know what those things mean. doesn't mean we're, we're going into production on tomorrow, right? I know mm-hmm. that they, somebody likes my scripts. It's being read by an actor who I really like, but I know that that's a long ways away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I know that, um, continuing to produce material helps your sanity um but what's your what's your writing habit like when you're when you're not working uh, i get up pretty early i'm an early riser get that from my dad uh, go to the gym go to orange theory fitness maybe come back at around 10 or 10 30 i write and i write till about four in the afternoon with lunch breaks and TikTok breaks but I, I like to put in like four to five hours a day and I will, man, I don't want people thinking like this guy's a running machine. There are days where I put in minus five minutes a day, kind of, or days where mm-hmm. I just, Oh, you know, I don't believe I've ever had a day where I've written as much as I, <laughs> I plotted it out to, I'm yeah. going to write, you know, even if I plan, if I write nine hours, I probably plan to write 10, you know, it's just nothing ever goes. The only time I did as much as I needed to was on rescue heroes i worked on this for um again mattel and there were days where like i was writing 12 hours a day just because i had to like we mm-hmm. there would be nothing to voice if i didn't so i remember working on this is right after 9 11 because we had to change an episode rescue heroes are about these like super cops super ambulance drivers and they would save people from rescue so we were working on one where the plane crashed into a tower after uh and then 9 11 happened and we were like wow. okay we'll probably rewrite that one um but i remember working on that show so hard that i finally went outside to pick up some groceries and there was three newspapers sitting on my porch and i realized oh i haven't even been outside in three days to the point where i i remembered i got to the la times delivered to my door wow um yeah yeah very very cool um so if uh, we'll start to write wrap things up here but um sure before we go, uh, well, first of all, if there is there anything that you uh, feel passionate about that you would like to say to somebody who's breaking in, or uh, it could be something you wish you had known when you were a, a person starting out? Yeah, just always be kind. I think don't. I, if I could go back and change things for myself, I was a little too wrapped up in who am I better than, who's better than me. You know, all oh, these that and that show's not as good as people think it is, and it's hard not to be that. You know, we love shows, but I, I would just say, be a nice person. You know, be good in the room, because I, when I look back at my career, I have not yet regretted being nice. Hmm. There's never a time, even when that person once stabbed me in the back. I, I have never gone back and go, oh, I, I, I should have been a, a jerk. You know. And there's and there was like one time when I rightfully got mad at a, a, a production manager because they had done something egregiously unprofessional. 
And I and we had talked about it, but they didn't understand a moment. And I don't want to because the person. Anyway, I yelled at that person for about a minute because they really could have shut down the production, what they had done. And I felt good for a minute and a half. And I went like, I don't look back at that. Like people were scared of Brent. I feel like, oh, I could have taken that person into my office and said, this is why I'm mad at what you did. And this is, and, and, and had we both of us talked it out, I think I could have, I understood why she was upset about something. It was, she was wrong. She didn't understand a line in the script, but if she didn't understand it, maybe somebody else wouldn't understand it. So she had a legitimate thing, but the way she went about it, she was kind of a coup. She was oh, upset. Well, okay. We don't know who it is. A wonderful person. I'm happy. We've saw, we talked about it years later, but I don't, I look back at that with a little bit of a shame. And, and the worst thing, this was when I was a standup, young standup, and I was working a lot and my agent called me and I was staying at my mom and dad's uh, over Christmas and they called for some gig. And I, I was a little short with my standup agent. And, you know, I, I don't want to do the gig then. I don't, I don't remember what I said. And I hung up and my dad said, you know, Brent, I was the vice president, probably the wrong title, but I was vice president of Shell Canada for 25 years. I never talked to the guys in the mailroom the way you just talked to your peer there. Wow. And that was like the most humbling thing. Because hmm. my dad, you know, like he was a great man. And so I can't say I always did well after that, but I tried. And, and, and the biggest lesson I learned about TV was when we were doing the latest buzz and we would show at lunchtime rough cuts for the cast or the crew. And we were sitting there and there's this little boy, the cutest kid, and he was an extra. He was the one that would walk past the halls and he had these big, right running shoes. We even had a meeting, like, should we let him have the running shoes? Because we'll always know it's him. And we decided to let him have the running shoes. And he's with his mom and he's watching the episode and he sees his moment where he hits him walking to the door and he got up and he like pointed like this and his mom hugged him. And it was like, Oh, that made me realize everybody wants their thumbprint on an episode. So, so that's like, so when you get a note that you don't like, just realize that they're trying to tell you, I want to be part of this. I really like this show. Mm. I want that. I want, uh, and you know, and yeah, uh, notes have driven me crazy over the years. And, and, and there's probably times I got my nose out of joint over notes, but the most time people notes are like people love you and they want your show to be better. Now I'm sure writers are saying, oh, some are just, it, you know, they don't know what they're talking about. Maybe, but my experience, I've worked with some really fabulous people. And even though I've disagreed with their notes, when I go home and think about them, <laughs> stew over them, I'm going to go, Oh, it's like the old adage, you know, listen to the, the what is it? Don't listen to the note, but to, the meaning behind the note kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So the note, yeah, note behind the note. Um, yeah. So, in, and if you were to um, walk into a high school class right now and there were mm -hmm. some people that wanted to be a TV writer, um, what advice would you tell them in today's landscape um, ah. to, to best attack? Okay. Yep, go ahead. Get any job you can, you can, you know, because even those jobs are hard to get. You know, oh, it's easy to say, oh, you should just be somebody's writer's assistant. But start, you know, follow great people on Twitter that are writers like, like, like Mike Royce. Um, uh, oh, names escape me now, but there's, you know, like look, look for the showrunners and the movie writers on Twitter 
and read them. Read mm. what they say. Read their scripts. Go down to the Writers Guild Library if you're in L.A. and 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 read scripts. Read the old scripts. I mean, I'm in a writers group, and sometimes you know I I date myself because I'll, I'll mention a, a TV show that they've never heard, but then I kind of go, well, you know, you you you, you should know who mm. Sid Caesar is or. And cause I wasn't born when these people were around. It's not like I'm not so old. I I, I was staying stay up with my folks to watch show shows or, you know, even you know, uh, Beaver to Beaver or any of these shows. So yeah, absorb yourself with as much TV as you can. I joke that when I won, I think it was my third WGC. I I, I thank my parents for um, never making me go outside and play. <laughs> <laughs> Because I did, we we did watch a lot of TV as kids growing up. Yeah, um, yeah and, and and be ready and and just reach out if you can reach out um, to somebody in a nice, professional, non-threatening way. If they're a good person, they will they will at least say, "Hey, nice meeting you. I can't help you right now, but please stay in touch." Or if anything comes, so I mean, you're probably the same way. If somebody reaches out, you want to. At least you don't want to kill their dreams. Mm. Yeah, and and if you have the time, I if somebody, especially a high school kid, sent me a script and I had time, which I would read it, because mm. you know that's that you know. I mean, yes, I've also done it professionally where I, I've given notes, so I don't want to become known as the guy that you know reads scripture for you. But yeah, I just I, I would offer to read their script and tell them to. See who they can meet. Go to sh- tapings or shows if it's a multicam you want to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I've I've mentioned this a couple times on the podcast, but um, when I was first starting out, I I just asked person after person after person in in the industry, "Would you have coffee with me? Um, just tell me about the industry. Tell me about um, how to get started." And I can't remember one person saying no. Yeah. And same thing when I got to LA, um, I, I just asked a whole pile of people if they would have coffee with me. And, I mean, big directors, showrunners, not one person said no. Yeah. I, I think most people who are successful are good people. You know, Hart Hansen is another guy to follow. He's a great person, great showrunner, Canadian. Um, and I think that if you're a creative person, you're usually a good person. Of course, there's, you know, not everybody, but I, I think that we want to help people because mm-hmm. don't be threatened by people, you know, especially if you're, a, if you're a writer and you find out that there's a, a, there's an opening for a show and someone might be better suited f- for that show than you tell them, even though it may hurt your chances because they will do the same for you and, f- and find, find mm-hmm. you a show that you're better for. So yeah, networking is really important yeah. and yeah, start trying to go to writers groups and just, Try to do anything you can, and eventually someone will say, "Hey, we need uh, someone to fill in for a day as a script supervisor or script coordinator, or whatever." And and you might get the job, and then get to get the episode. Yeah, very cool. And, and uh, yeah. in 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 Canada, would it be right to say um, moving to Toronto would be important? Yeah, I I did, I did once talk to a Calgary writer who I met with Calgary. Uh, met, sorry, a Calgary writer who I met when I was doing Caitlin's Way in Calgary. And she was like, yeah, I don't want to move to Calgary. Sorry, I don't want to move to Toronto. I like it here in Calgary. And I kind of said, then you don't belong. Like, there's also there's also no 
you don't have to sugarcoat it for everybody. You go, then you don't mm. want to be a writer. Um, maybe Vancouver has some rooms. Uh, they got some great showrunners out there. But yeah, Toronto or Vancouver, probably Toronto. Because mm. yeah, it's like if you want to be an actor, a real actor, you got to move to Los Angeles or a theater, you got to move to New York. You might, if you live in Cleveland, get a line or two when they come through their Cleveland productions. Just like I see, uh, I was watching that show about the Mormons, um, the, the murder mystery. What was that called? The Great Big Sky or something? Mm. Anyway, it was it, it was a great series uh, about a, a detective who there's some murders amongst some Mormons and everyone's screaming at me what it is. But um, mm. all of a sudden these Calgary actors start appearing. I go, oh, this was filmed in Calgary and they did a great <laughs> job. But they're not going to get the lead ever because they're not from. They're they're not they're not where the work is. You have to go where mm -hmm. the work is. Yeah, very cool. Well, we will wrap things up now. Um, on right. Twitter, you are B Piaskowski. No, I'm Brent Piaskowski. That's right. Brent Piaskowski. Just full name. Yeah. Uh, easy to find. Yeah. Um, really appreciate you taking the time today and uh, sharing about your path through the industry to hopefully. It's helpful to a lot I'm of people. I'm honored to do this. Great. And when I do get back from Calgary, we'll do that. Uh, we'll meet somewhere. Uh, I need an app called Meet Me in the Middle, which we plug in our addresses <laughs> and it finds a place that we're looking for right in between because uh, you're a bit of ways away. But we are. We, we do owe each other a, a coffee or a lunch. And I look forward to that. Sounds great. Okay. Take care. That's it for the episode. You can find us on the web at tvwriterpodcast.com or at scriptmag.com. The video version of this podcast is available at iTunes, Podbean, or YouTube. The audio-only version is available at iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, or Pandora. You can find me on Instagram at, at TVWriterPodcast. Follow me on Twitter, at Gray Jones is my handle. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.